just on the way over here, I was on Instagram, and I. How many cute pictures did you see, Lauren? Well, most of Instagram is cute, I think. They got puppies, they got cuties in bathing suits. Nice. uh, Sunsets, flowers. But what I saw on Instagram today was our friend Greg from DreamWorks seemed to announce that She-Ra is done. Like, done, done. I mean, when it's not getting canceled, like, they finished their story and they got there. Yeah, we should probably read the actual text of the thing so as to not, like, alarm people. But, uh, so, and sorry for blowing your spotlight up, Greg, but your Instagram is public, so we figure we'll talk about it. Uh, it's just a picture of a notepad that says, says like, Shira final mix, no notes. And the caption is, a pretty incredible journey came to an end today. I can't wait for you to see it. So, however far ahead of us, you know, plebeians they are, they're done. Yeah, when I hear final mix, I think that's, like, final recording, final dub, all, all taped together. Well, anyway, I'm really excited that we know this. I know it's not the first time it's been hinted that they were wrapping up. We've had some previous guests talk about specific actors being done. And I just tied this back to something we've already talked about, which is you so often hear, I hope my favorite show gets renewed for another season. I hope Netflix doesn't drop it. And at least with this show, I don't think that was really ever on the table. That's not how this show was made. They, they had an arc, and it got popular enough that it seems that they're allowed to finish it exactly as they wanted to. Would you agree? Yeah, and I'm pretty secure in my guess that they have one more season, like one more full season, because that would take them up to 52 episodes. And that puts us, this is episode 31. So if I'm right that they have 52 episodes, you get at least 21 more episodes of us. Good Lord. Oh, no. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to Sheer Progressive of Power for our 69th episode. Nice, I am nice, Eric. Nice, nice, I'm Lauren. Nice. nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> today it's just the two of us. Uh, and so you can choose your own adventure as to why that is. Is it, well, I'll tell you the truth, which is we recorded an episode with a very cool guest earlier this week. And it is hard to book guests. So we're like, Let, let's just talk the two of us. But did we make that decision because A, we didn't want to book another guest because work is hard or B, because this episode is pretty raw and we just wanted to be able to dig into it without exposing our lovely guests to it? Uh, it's a kid's show, and so anything getting so raw that we want to, like, shield others from it is probably not the right answer. I'm going to go with A. I don't think you need to pull back the curtain on our workflow that much, Lauren. Maybe it's Thank C. You. Maybe it's C in that we just want to be together sometimes, just by ourselves as old buds. That's true, and there is stuff to talk about. There's, like, a lot of political stuff going on, so we'll get into that this week. But uh, today, it's just me and Lauren doing what Scott Ackerman would call a solo bolo with Benny Schwartz. Oh, that's what that's from? Yeah, Comedy Bang Bang. Him and Ben Schwartz do episodes called Solo Bolos. You said you wanted to do a solo bolo, and I just assumed it was some Eric thing, and I didn't even ask. And it is. No, Well, I mean, it's not an Eric thing. It's a Scott Ackerman thing. Just let it be an Eric thing. And then so one cooler. episode, they, they always do song challenges at the end where they try to improvise, like, the longest string of song, like, uh improvisational songs that they can and one day they dialed Lin-Manuel Miranda while they were doing it and he joined in at the end. It's insane. Anyway, 
Solo bolo, baby. Does that mean we're calling Lin Manuel Miranda at the end of this episode? I don't have his number. I think Amy Carrero knows him, but I also don't have Amy's number. Okay, well, if Amy's still listening after appearing on our show, if she still thinks we're cool, if you want Lin Manuel to give us a call, we'd love that. Yeah, he's not doing anything else. He likes right? Shira. We know that he does. That's true. Lin, come on our show. Anyway, we're talking about the episode protocol today, uh, which is it's it's an interesting episode. I, I don't want to say that it's like inconsequential because it's really not but it feels like a bit of a sidestep from the rest of the season in who it decides to focus on definitely and i won't jump ahead really but i do think the entire episode is there for the last three seconds the i mean the end of it is what truly connects to the overarching narrative because well what who gets the spotlight in this episode well let's see so the episode opens with Essentially, our heroes, Lonnie, Kyle, and Rogelio. My heroes. (laughs) The three Horde cadets. And they are coming back from the Whispering Woods with, like, some super secret rebellion armor that Catra has asked them to steal. Uh, All of a sudden, the sky kind of starts raining ash, and it disables their vehicle, and they're stuck. And so most of the episode focuses on how these three relate to each other, how they relate to, like, the Horde cause, like that's been inculcated in them, how they relate to Katra. And at one point after Kyle like injures himself in this ash rain, like it, we really, we see what makes these characters tick. The, the B plot of the episode is that the ash rain kind of relates to the crystal castle malfunctioning. There's like a glitch in the programming and light hope reverts to like her basically proto form self, like her pre-programmed, uh, interface where she's like very light and goofy and she knows that she's supposed to train Shira, but she doesn't know anything else and so her and adora have a really interesting kind of back and forth um where adora tries to get information out of her while she's not really in her right mind and that leads to some interesting stuff with mara because all light hope can remember is one interaction with mara where mara brought her flowers that's a really steamy interaction that we'll definitely talk about and then at the end after Everything stops and Light Hope's restored to normalcy. Uh, we see Light Hope delete her nice memory of Mara, which is really, really uh, creepy. It's very sad. And I, that scene is steamy. <laughs> well, we, we know from something we recorded already but hasn't aired yet from our show that at least one member of the DreamWorks team, like, that's their number one ship. All right. Let's, let's talk about it. So Light Hope and Mara... Uh, yeah, there's not narratively much going on in the scene. Uh, we see Mara, uh, like a, you know, a sort of a Dora type, just bringing Light Hope flowers to try to get her to like lighten up and be cool and to befriend Light Hope. And in this like past Light Hope, it seems to work pretty well. And they share this like very tender moment, uh, where it seems like Light Hope is really, really into the fact that Mara wants to be her friend, like really into it. Yeah, um, there's lots of smiling, there's giggling, which we never see from Light Hope, and she fills the room with these flowers as if to say, yes, I agree that this is beautiful, I agree that I want to keep seeing you and I want to share this bond, and I'm just going to raise the stakes even more. Like, I'll see your bouquet of flowers and here's a whole room of them. 
And just flowers are such a romantic symbol to begin with that being like, I filled a room with flowers for you just seems to me very, very romantic. And so I don't know how I would ship an ancient hero and a hologram, but I think I do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it feels like it's a a reciprocated attraction, but something has happened in between this flashback scene in the current day because, yeah, the last scene of the episode is both sad and chilling where Light Hope very coldly just, like, wipes her memory of ever feeling tender towards Mara. Well, the nature of Light Hope and the Crystal Castle, I've watched this episode three or four times now, and I got to admit, I still don't get it all. And I don't know if that's intentional on the part of our writers or if I'm just missing some of the key puzzle pieces. But even what you just said in the summary about the sort of acid spark rain, is that being caused by the malfunction in the Crystal Castle or did that cause the malfunction? Like chicken and egg, what is first? Yeah, it's not fully clear, right? I mean, there's something uh, implied about maybe Etheria's structural integrity, which is certainly um, what Light Hope keeps drilling down on Adora about is like, you have to balance the planet. Is this an example of the planet being imbalanced? That could be. So I'm going to tell you my fan theory, and it's entirely rooted in the 80s show. And we know that, you know, thanks to like Flutterina relying too much on the 80s material can mislead us. Oh, you mean Abigail or whatever her name was? (laughs) I just meant the fact that we want her to be good, and she's Uh, definitely not. Right, right. But am I wrong in remembering that in our beloved 80s show, the Whispering Woods attacks the Horde and attacks evil, but doesn't attack good? No, you're correct. The woods will actually reconfigure to keep the horde out. That's what I remember. And so that's never established in this new show exactly that literally. But I started wondering if the rain was attacking the horde presence as the kids invaded. But also we find out that Light Hope maybe doesn't have the best intentions either. And so if the if the woods is seeing the castle as also an evil thing, it would attack that too. And the spiders are really evil looking. And I really started to wonder, was the woods doing this to the castle? That's a great fan theory. All we've seen the woods do in this iteration, because you're right, it's kind of like a Lost Woods from Zelda thing where certain characters will say, oh, like I could wander forever, like I'll never find my way through. So there is maybe a subtle implication that the woods can reconfigure, but it's not really ethically directed it's not clear that it only keeps out the bad guys so yeah this could be like a defense mechanism in the woods that's really fascinating yeah and it might not be there at all it might just be my nostalgia but i think it would be very cool and a much more subtle way of trying to warn us about future episodes i i think i want to call out a letter we got last season that we did read but uh our friend chris wrote to us saying that he thought, you know, in the in the prior season, there's like a garbled message from Mara about Light Hope and a weapon. And I think viewers are supposed to assume that like Light Hope is warning uh, Mara about a weapon or telling the future people that Mara was felled by this weapon. But our, our listener and friend Chris thought maybe Mara, uh, like Light Hope and the weapon are connected and maybe Light Hope is not so like straightforward and good as as she seems and i think the end of this episode is pretty strong evidence that yeah like light hope has her own agenda this memory should have been purged per directive of the heart of etheria project 
permanently delete. Uh, you mentioned the spiders. I want to say that the biggest laugh out loud moment in the season, if not the show for me, is when uh, when Adora asks Light Hope if she can please be useful. And Light Hope says, I just learned how to make spiders. Are spiders useful? <laughs> I do want to say I'm tremendously arachnophobic and I'm very lucky that for whatever reason these cartoon spiders don't frighten me because otherwise this episode would be unbearable. I mean, wasn't the episode that we watched with Vera way back when The Promise also full of spiders? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of this uh, conjured defense system that we keep seeing and it's a bizarre choice, but it is horrifying and I think it achieves what it's trying to. Horrifying. Oh, uh, another another spider thing that I wrote down in my notebook was the fact that, similarly to you, I had a big laugh out loud moment this episode when you hear Light Hope say, I made a bird. And it's a spider with wings. Wings, yeah. So that's the that's the Light Hope Adora plot. Not Adora doesn't really do much in this episode. She's kind of just a cipher for Light Hope to show her range. I oh you know what? Actually I did want to call out that. I really like that, like, Light Hope's voice actor completely changes her delivery for, like, the fresh Light Hope. I think it's such a neat, like, decision on her part. It is. For a split second, I wondered if it was a different actress because it was so upbeat and fresh. And I was like, wow, when they rebooted her from the past or over time did her personality completely switch but no it's just one person doing good work i was trying to see in the flashback if there were any differences in light hope's visual design and i couldn't find any at first i was wondering if that sort of diagonal looking gash across her chest was maybe new from the past but no that's always been there i didn't find anything so if y'all did let me know place it in the left spot are you sure? Yes. Of course, my system is only at 36%, so I suppose I am 36% sure. Perfect. It isn't back far from perfect. I was being sarcastic. What is sarcastic? Oh, trust me, that information is never gonna load for you. We gotta spend some time talking about Lauren's heroes, our horde trio. I think... So first of all, this is the first time we ever really get into, like, particularly Kyle's, like, motivation and character. And I think the arc that they have in this episode is really interesting. Yeah, Kyle gets a lot more depth than he had before, and I really appreciate that. I am thinking about our fan who always writes us on Facebook. There is someone out there who is convinced that that is maybe Adam and just keeps sending us their theories, and I keep being like, I love your enthusiasm, and I really don't think so. And this episode really, I think, once and for all tells me this is not secretly a He-Man plant. Kyle is his own thing. Yeah, agreed. So what I want to talk about with you, which I think is going to dovetail into our political discussion, is these characters have the heroic arc in this episode, right? Like, they, they face the problem, and it's their, like, determination and grit and friendship that saves the day. But the thing that pulls them through is they have this discussion earlier in the episode spurred by Catra treating them horribly that, like, oh, everything they told us in the Horde about, like, teamwork and community is a lie. Like, it's just everyone for themselves. But then at the end, what saves them is Kyle's, like, basically death-defying insistence that 
there is something to that. Like you can be part of a team in the horde and like you can go all out for your bros. And I'm just curious, how do we read that when like these are the bad guys and it's the bad guys like fake bullshit ethics that wins the day and gets the heroic music in this episode? Well, for one, we know this show has always done a fantastic job of making complex characters who aren't ever morally or ethically black or white. So many changes in who's on which side happen each season, and I just love that. Specifically here, though, I appreciate this trio and how they differentiate themselves from not only Katra but also Adora. Lonnie, I think it is, lumps the two of those people together. She says, Adora left, Katra left, everyone abandoned us. And so we as the viewer, we feel like Katra and Adora have these super different reasons for leaving the horde and super different goals and things that they want. But as far as their former friends are concerned, they're just both bad friends who abandoned them. That's such an interesting commentary on like, if you ever go through a bad breakup or something, you mean, there's two sides to every story. And you might be the villain in someone else's story. And in this case, both our main good guy and basically our main bad guy are just lumped in the same trash can. And hearing you say that, it makes me realize that we, if ever, very seldom see Lonnie, Kyle, and Rogelio separately. Like, they're almost always paired in a squad. And in some ways, that's like an easy, maybe writing shortcut to just have them be together. But in other ways, I think it does pointedly speak to their character. I'm not sure I 100% agree with your assessment that, like, Kyle's whole thing is you can be a team in the horde or, like, we are a family. I think in the end, the three of them sort of end up in agreement, and it's that the three of them are a family. Kyle does go to bat for the idea that the horde, the horde raised them. They're the only friends they've ever had. They're a unit. They're a family. We watch out for each other. But I think everyone sort of by different routes comes to the same conclusion, and it's that they're their own best friend squad and other people don't necessarily matter. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I think that's correct. I guess I just mean more it's like they take the philosophy of the Horde that the Horde is instilled in them, and I guess they kind of rewrite it to make it fit themselves. And I just think that's interesting that they're like using talking points and, I don't know, reclaiming them for for like this this positive thing. I, I think their youth is interesting too. Like if we were to map this onto like um, – like young Republicans, like young Turks, how how would you feel if like some like Nixonian or not uh, some like Reagan talking point like inspired three young Republicans to like be heroes and save the day? Yeah, you could apply that to really any sort of youth activism that we see today. I mean, if you think of like the Greta Thunbergs of our time, or even worse, these teens who have been through mass shootings in their schools. The generation above them, they they almost couldn't care less about. It's like, you let us down. Now it's up to us. And that's kind of what they're saying here. The people in charge of them are not coming. They literally say no one's coming to help us, and they have to do it themselves. And it just reminds me so much of gun control, climate change. What the kids are realizing is no one's coming to help them no matter how much they've screamed. And now they just have to radicalize. And in this case, radicalizing, I guess, is going out 
into terrible acid rain. Yeah, that's what I mean by the fact that this show is like raw. There are moments of pain in this episode that I recoiled at. Like when the when the acid rain uh, burns through Kyle's armor and like starts to melt his skin. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I watched this season behind you by a significant margin. And when I got to this episode, it wasn't even over yet. And I was texting you like, Eric, my God, because it looks so painful. Like I keep using the word violent and it's not violent like someone stabbing another person or punching another person. But it is violent like animation of skin and layers peeling away. I was just like, I can't believe I'm how grossed out I am right now. Yeah, no freaking kidding. I was watching this episode uh, with my partner, and I had seen it already, and I was like, oh, this is this is the gruesome one. This, this really bad thing happens to somebody. And in the first five seconds of the episode, where we see Kyle sort of bouncing around, flailing in the back of the vehicle, uh, Alex went, it's going to be Kyle, isn't it? <laughs> yep. That foreshadowing was on point. So how do we how do you feel about Kyle? Because I think knowing more about his character, I think he's kind of interesting, which I do want to say someone once called us out for being too straight centric because we talk about ostensibly the only straight white man on a show of of uh, like women and people of color and various sexualities, but it's been a long time since we talked about Kyle. Well, and I'm not sure like, I think he loves Rahelia. Oh, yeah, that's true. That very, was what I said last time, very too. Very good point. And so, at the very least, he's pan, right? Yeah, fair. Or bi, at least. Something. But anyway, he has spirit, obviously. He's, like, very gung-ho, and he's very... I've been watching a lot of Boy Meets World. He's very like Corey Matthews and that he wants everybody to love him. And he wants uh, he wants to love and be loved, so maybe he is pan. But also, he is kind of a believer. He's so much smarter than the show ever lets him be, or at least that his friends let him be. And we see that in a couple of ways. We see him invent a very complex game and then, you know, sort of bullshit and play Calvin Ball with it. And Right. He's, we see why other people make fun of him, too. Yeah. But there's a very striking moment, and I want to know if you caught it. And it's after Lonnie and Rogelio go outside to rescue Kyle, Rogelio picks up the tool to like do the soldering or the welding or whatever and sees that Kyle has already accomplished it. And there's this moment where Rahelia sort of grunts like, well, damn, like I didn't come out here and expect to see a competent job done, but it was. Kyle had already done the work and had done it well. Let's just get back inside. And we're shown that there's stuff he's good at. Like maybe it's fiddly tech stuff instead of holding a gun but there's a reason he's in the horde he does not suck do you think that this episode and i honestly don't remember the answer to this question so this is not a spoiler because i don't remember do you think that this episode sets up a potential defection for our trio good thought i personally don't imagine them defecting i imagine them doing whatever they have to do to survive within the circumstances that they're given until a better time comes like they don't have superpowers they don't have authority in the horde and so i can just see them going okay we just got to make it through until something changes but they have each other and each other is not, you know, that's not nothing. 
And as long as we got each other, we got the world sitting right in our hand. Baby, you and me, we got to be the luckiest dreamers. I don't know the rest of the lyrics. I was just going to let you go as long as you... Keep on giving. There you you got it. (laughs) Uh, Last question about these three. I think it's been vague prior, but this episode seems to establish that no one really understands Rogelio. I I wrote that in my notes, too. They, I always thought that maybe, like, Kyle understood him, but he doesn't. And I think that's extra rude in a season when we see Scorpia clearly communicating with Emily all the time. So it just feels like Rogelio needed some sort of workplace accommodation and didn't get it. <laughs> it is so funny, though, that he gets the emotional speech at the end of the episode complete with music, and it's just grunts. And then there's, it's not even, it's pretty clear that no one, including his team, understands what he said. It's in his face, though. and It's in his heart. That's also true. I, and I think they, they know what he means. I don't think they're entirely making fun of him. I don't think they're entirely in the dark. I think the feeling of the message gets across. They just don't know exactly how intimate it got, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it's like Chewbacca. One last point about this plot arc. I I was really taken by the fact that their main beef with Katra seems to be Katra's secrecy. She's being very withholding about the mission. And wasn't that formerly what Katra was upset about with Shadow Weaver and Hordak? She's she's now treating the people below her exactly as she used to be treated. Damn. Yeah, well, again, like, it's an abuse tactic. Again, it's sort of a propaganda tactic. But, I mean, how many how many workplaces have we been in? I fully admit to, like, getting a promotion at my old job and then suddenly realizing, like, oh, there's a reason I wasn't told everything. But when it comes to upholding these relationships, Katra, sure... She sure broke bad really fast. It feels more personal with Katra. Less about the mission and more just about what she feels other people deserve. Yes. Totally. I can agree with that. I feel like we've discussed on this show before, like, chosen family versus the family you're born with. And this trio is almost both. Like, they're not genetically related, but they also didn't choose one another. They're stuck together because the horde sort of equally kidnapped them all. I don't know. And so I'm not sure what I want to hear what you think about that because I'm not sure the lesson we're supposed to get here, right? It's it's somewhere between your family is who you choose but also like making the best of your circumstances and what you have. Well, I think you said it earlier. I think that these three are essentially survivors. Right? Like they don't get the luxury of choice. And they don't get the luxury of even necessarily warmth. Like, they're the only three people in the in the horde besides Scorpia who, I mean, just look at the title of the next episode and see how long that's going to last. Um, they're the only three people in the horde who even care about anyone else, really. So I think that this is more just like when you're in a situation like this, you do the best you can because you have to. As long as we got each other. So we talked about our little horde collaborating youth. Let's talk about 
what the real youth of the world are up to, or really anything. Lauren, what's happening in the world right now? Uh, the most recent major one is that uh, Kamala Harris is out of the presidential race, and the reason given was a lack of money. And I, I have a lot of feelings. So point the first, I believe that that was a huge component of the problem. And it bothers me so much that like Bloomberg in the 11th hour after several debates can just buy his way into an election when people who have been fighting this whole time couldn't stay in. But uh, she wasn't my favorite anyway. I appreciate the fact that she basically made Brett Kavanaugh cry <laughs> because uh Make predators cry is like a really great uh, slogan to have, especially if you're going to be facing Donald Trump. But, you know, she was pro SESTA, FOSTA, like kind of came down on sex workers in a very cop like way. And I am pro sex work. And a lot of my friends who, you know, use various forms of sex work to make rent would not have been safe under her presidency. And so I, I'm sad to see a woman of color and I, the, really the only black female candidate anywhere in the running, like, fall. I just don't know if I would have loved it anyway, right? Well, so I think money is a reason that the campaign fell apart. But in the last, you know, the days leading up to the her dropping out, there's a lot of articles about general disorganization Essentially, her campaign uh, leadership being split between I, – I could be wrong, but I believe her sister and then a, a, a more traditional campaign manager and no one really knowing who had authority or, or any sense of organization. So I think there was just like internal issues there in general. And yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think my friend Craig uh, who works in politics in Springfield, which is Illinois' capital, had a really interesting take on Kamala that I agree with. Much like Craig, I, I don't think that like ACAB, all cops are bastards, is like compelling political philosophy because it misses the nuance of the system. And I think you can recognize that like there's a problem with policing without, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. And yet the problem with Kamala is that she never really did anything to distance herself from that image. Like that was everything everybody ever had to say about her that was bad was like, you're a cop. You you over-enforce and over-prosecute uh, laws and crimes that unfairly target other people of color. And she didn't really ever address that. And that seems like if that's your negative, why wouldn't you try to do something about that? Right. And I will fully grant that I don't think you should always let the general population and what they're riled up about choose your talking points. Like back in the day when Barack Obama was being grilled about his birth certificate, which was such a stupid nothing burger of an issue, I was always like, just ignore it. Stop. This is ridiculous. And so if you want to talk about what you want to talk about, fine. But I am biased in that of the two of us, I think I am more the ACAB person. It's a big problem for my family. But I'm, I'm full on like open borders, ACAB, like burn it all down. And I, yeah, I wish she would have addressed it. It's unlike the birther movement, police brutality and police violence and police overreach and militarization are all huge issues in our country right now that are worth talking about. No matter how nuanced or not you think that issue is, it is an American talking point and she ignored it. And so you can't 
put it exactly in the same category as something like birtherism. Well, she ignored it while being like at the epicenter of it. And that's not good. Like it, it, it just begars the mind. And it probably does speak to like the turmoil in her campaign that I think, you know, I'm stealing this a little bit from Maya Rudolph's portrayal, which is one of the better parts of SNL's campaign season so far. But she's all, she was always looking for like those Instagramable moments, right? After she came out huge at the first debate by like ripping into Biden, which was well-deserved by the way. I think she was always looking to like, go viral instead of address substantive issues, which is the same because I think she is a woman of substance. But, you know, her time is gone. Right. And anyone who is out there writing the think pieces about like why Kamala failed, if you don't bring race and you don't bring gender into it, you're still you're still failing. I mean, that's definitely still relevant here, even with all of the other symptoms we can point to. I just think if you're a woman in politics, if you're a person of color in politics, if you stack those things on top of one another, you're just under interrogation in a way that nobody else is going to be. Even comparing Biden to Warren, Warren has had to answer to so much more grilling than Biden has ever had to. And I think it's just all gender. So I hope she I hope Kamala is a sign of the type of person you know, cop or otherwise, that's going to continue to be in this race. So sick of white guys. That's the other big update for me. So we're learning that Mayor Pete is actually horrible. And he's probably, I'm going to say this, and maybe I'll look like a fool in six months. I take Joe over Mayor Pete at this point. Ooh. Uh, So there's all this talk right now. Uh, So Iowa, for those of you who don't know, um, the United States is a really backwards method of of picking presidential candidates we do state caucuses and of course what states do you start with well how about ones in the middle of flyover country that don't really (laughs) apologies to our friends in iowa don't really matter otherwise to national politics no but like like legend and lore wise iowa matters don't they carry like a big like whichever way iowa goes so goes the nation but is that chicken and egg right because iowa's first it sets the tone for the rest of the election because it's the first caucus. And so Mayor Pete is hitting Iowa really hard, and he's really co-opting Republican talking points to do this, uh, especially in the realm of, like, free college. So free college is something that especially Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are very, very high on, is, like, we should just make college accessible to everybody. And so Mayor Pete's response is, well, if we do that, then rich kids get college for free too, and that's bad. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that's a point that rich people, a.k.a. Republicans, use to deny free college to everybody else. It's it's so – it's just so disingenuous, and he's so smart, and he knows what he's doing. And it's just – it sickens me to see such a bright, interesting man move from, like, as far left as talking about packing the Supreme Court to, like – this barely left of center, moderate, like, I'm Joe Biden, but I don't touch women kind of thing. Yeah, I'm getting so tired of those types of talking points where the implication that the suffering of the poor class and the middle class somehow, like, also keeps rich people in check. You see that a lot when we're even talking about, like, food stamps and stuff, too. Like, well, we have to have a working requirement for food stamps because blah, blah, blah. And 
That's not how any of this works. Like, rich people will get into college for free anyway. The implication that these sorts of tightenings of the belt on regular people also tightens the belt on the 1%, it's just, it's just false. The amount of tax dodging and education buying and world changing that you can do when you have money, don't make me laugh. Lauren, it occurs to me that this week's episode was really close to how we used to do episodes. Yeah. Season one style. We used to just hang out and talk politics for a while and get to Shira when we got to it and then swing back. It's been really cool hanging out with you. Do you want to do a moral this week as like a throwback? Do you have one? I don't know if I do. Do you? Let's think for a second. Hold okay. on. Let's get this moral cooking. Okay. How about I start and you finish? Like an improv game? Yeah. Okay. Okay. On today's story, we learned that if there's acid rain outside, don't go outside, unless you have armor. But even then, be careful. And if your friend goes outside because it's acid raining outside, you should not let your friend die. Letting your friends die would be the wrong thing to do. And why is that, Eric? Because we're all in this together, because we're all survivors. Also, if you ever become a prosecutor, don't implement policies that overly harm people of color. (laughs) That's a good one. I don't know if we learned that in this episode, but that's just something you should take with you. (laughs) But we should have. (laughs) Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.